Hi. In this next episode, we're going to look at the head and neck cancers. So, let's start. Describe the T staging in head and neck cancers. So the T-staging in head and neck cancers depends on the location of the tumour. So in all of the locations of which there are oral cavity or oral pharynx, nasopharynx, hypopharynx and maxillary sinus. In all of them, T0 and TIS, so no evidence of primary tumour, or TIS is a carcinoma in situ. And then let's look at each of them individually. So oral cavity, T1 less than 2 centimetres, T2, 2 to 4 centimetres, T3, greater than 4 centimetres, and T4, invades adjacent structures. For the nasopharynx, it's more to do with the invasion than the size. So, within the, so T1 is within the nasopharynx or extends into the oropharynx, or oral cavity, T2, Pharyngeal extension beyond the pharyngobasilar fascia. T3 is it invades bony structures. And T4, skull base intracranial extensions or onto cranial nerves. The hypopharynx, so if it's less than 2 centimeters and confined to just one side, in, is T1. T2 is 2 to 4 centimeters without fixation of the hemilarynx. T3 is greater than 4 centimetres or fixed to the hemilarynx, and T4 invades other neck or mediastinal structures. And then finally, the maxillary sinus. So, here the, in T1, the tumour is limited to the sinus mucosa. In T2, it invades bone of the hard palate, plus or minus the nasal meatus. T3 invades bone of the posterior sinus, orbital floor, ethmoid sinus, or is subcutaneous and T4 invades the orbital content skin or brain. So let's have another quick look at that. So oral cavity and oral pharynx is very simple. T1, less than two centimeters. T2, two to four centimeters. T3, more than four centimeters. And T4 invades adjacent structures. The hypopharynx is similar. So T1, once again, is less than two centimetres, but also just confined to one side of the, uh, of the hypopharynx. T2 is a tumour that is two to four centimetres, so the same as oral cavity, but it is not fixed. Well, there's no fixation of the hemilarynx. T3, greater than four centimetres, or fixed to the hemilarynx. And T4, invading other neck or mediastinal structures. So that's oral cavity and hypopharynx are largely less than two, two to four, more than four invading. Nasopharynx is slightly different. So here is within the nasopharynx or extending into the oral pharynx is a T1. T2 is the parapharyngeal extension beyond the pharyngobasilar fascia. 
and T3 is its invading into bony structures, and T4, skull base or intracranial extension. And then finally, maxillary, limited to the sinus mucosa, invades bone of the hard palate, plus or minus the nasal meatus, invades bone of the posterior sinus, orbital floor, ethamoid sinus, or subcutaneous, and T4 invades orbital content, skin, brain. What about the N and M classification for head and neck tumours? So the NNM classification for head and neck tumours is the same across all of the primary locations. So looking at N first, simply NX is where the regional nodes cannot be assessed. N0, no regional nodes. And then there's N1, 2 and N3. Broadly speaking, N1 is less than 3 centimetres. N2 is 3 to 6 centimetres and N3 is greater than 6 centimetres. However, there are three subdivisions within N2. So let's go through this again. N1, single ipsilateral lymph node, less than 3 centimetres. N2A is a single ipsilateral lymph node between 3 and 6 centimetres. N2B, multiple ipsilateral lymph nodes less than six centimeters and n2c is bilateral or contralateral lymph nodes less than six centimeters and then n3 is a lymph node greater than six centimeters and generally we also note whether it's in the upper or lower part of the neck lower being levels four and five and then m is very straightforward mx Distant METs cannot be assessed. M0, no distant METs. And M1, there are distant METs. How do pharyngeal nodes differ? That's nasopharyngeal. How do nasopharyngeal nodes differ? So nasopharyngeal nodes or nodes from a nasopharyngeal primary, N1 is a single ipsilateral lymph node less than 6 centimetres above the supraclavicular fossa or retropharyngeal nodes. N2 is a bilateral lymph node of less than 6 centimetres above the supraclavicular fossa. And in some ways that's similar to a N2C for the other head and neck tumours. N3A is a lymph node greater than 6 centimetres, and N3B is a lymph node that extends to the supraclavicular fossa.
What are the levels of the neck? So, the levels of the neck are 1 to 5. 1. This is your submental and submandibular lymph nodes. It's divided into 1A and 1B. 1A is within the anterior belliodigastric and hyoid, and this is your submental node. 1B is in the anterior belliodigastric, the mandible, the vertical plane, through the submandibular, and this is your submandibular lymph node. 2. Extends horizontally from 1B to the posterior part of the sternocleidomastoid, and from skull base to hyoid. 2A is anterior to the accessory nerve, and 2B is posterior to the accessory nerve, and these are your upper jugular lymph nodes. Level 3. This extends horizontally from the sternohyoid to the posterior part of the sternocleidomastoid, and it's from the hyoid to the lower border of the cricoid. And these are your middle jugular lymph nodes. Level 4, so your sternohyoid to the posterior sternocleidomastoid, from the cricoid to the clavicle. And these are your lower jugular lymph nodes. And within this is also your thoracic duct. So your thoracic duct is in level four and your right lymphatic duct. Level five is posterior to the sternocleidomastoid and anterior to trapezius and clavicle. 5A is above the cricoid, which is your spinal accessory nodes. And 5B is below the cricoid. And these are your transverse cervical and supraclavicular nodes. There is also level six, which is between the carotids from the hyoid to the superior sternal notch. How are level seven nodes assessed? Apologies, I should have said accessed as opposed to assessed. So these are nodes that are on an extension of the paratracheal lymph node chain to the level of the innominate artery, and these are accessed via a cervical approach. What's a radical neck dissection? As in, what's the definition of a radical neck dissection?
A radical nectar section is a level 1 to 5 nectar section, taking out all the ipsilateral lymph nodes, the spinal accessory nerve, the internal jugular vein, and the sternocleidomastoid. What is a modified radical nectar section? A modified radical nectar section is again a level 1 to 5 ipsilateral nectar section preserving one or more of the spinal accessory nerve, the internal jugular vein, or the sternocleidomastoid. The preserved structure is named, for example, you would say a modified radical nectar section with preservation of the spinal accessory nerve. What is an extended nectar section? An extended nectar section is the removal of lymph node groups or other structures not usually involved in a radical nectar section. For example, level 7, uh, paratracheal nerves, uh, nodes or the carotid artery. What is a selective nectar section? A selective nectar section is a nectar section preserving one or more levels compared to a radical nectar section. Here, the levels are decided on based on the site of the primary tumour. What is a selective nectar section for an oral cavity tumour? An oral cavity tumour should have a level 1 to 3 nectar section. However, the caveat to that is if it is an invasive tongue tumour, then it's a level 1 to 4. And this is based on O'Brien's paper. What is a selective nectar section for an oropharyngeal or hyperpharyngeal carcinoma? An oropharyngeal or hyperpharyngeal carcinoma should have a level 2 to 4 selective nectar section. Which levels should be removed for a cutaneous head neck malignancy?
So obviously, for a cutaneous malignancy, it depends on where the malignancy is. So if it is a posterior scalp or upper neck malignancy, then a level 2 to 5 should be done, and as well as the posterocular and suboccipital nodes. If the lesion is preauricular, anterior scalp, or temporal, then it should be a selective neck dissection, including a, the protid nodes, the facial nodes, level 2, level 3, level 5A, and the external jugular nodes. For an anterior or lateral face, the neck dissection should be a selective neck dissection, including parotid nodes, facial nodes, and a level 1 to 3. What about a selective neck dissection for midline structures of the anterior lower neck? So if the primary tumour is in the anterior lower neck, then a level 6 should be performed, including nodes around the thyroid, larynx and piriform fossa. What are the indications for a prophylactic neck dissection? So the indications for a prophylactic neck dissection are controversial and there's no RCT to give a definitive answer. If one's being considered, it should be discussed within the head neck MDT. But generally, the guidance is if access is required to expose neck vessels for a flap, if it's an unreliable patient with a high risk tumour, or in patients with a high-risk tumour that have thick necks, which may mask a lymph node. What proportion of N0 necks have microscopic node deposits? Twenty percent of oral cavity tumours and over 50% of oropharynx and hyperpharynx tumours have microscopic node, nodes, even if there is no clinically apparent nodes. Describe Shah's method for a radical neck dissection.
So a nectar section using a char approach. Here the initial incision is a T-shaped incision from the ipsilateral mastoid across to the contralateral sternocleidomastoid, two finger breadths below the mandible, and then a vertical line from posterior to the carotid to the midclavicular point. Then there is a posterior elevation. This is done in a subplatismal plane to the anterior border of trapezius, avoiding the external jugular vein. From that point on, there's a level 5 dissection where soft tissues are cleared medially, the sternocleidomastoid is disconnected, there's ligation of the cervical vessels and division of the posterior omohyoid, as well as ligation of the external jugular vein. Then an anterior flap elevation, once again in a subplatismal plane. The sternal and clavicular heads of sternocleidomastoid are divided. Then a carotid sheath dissection. The internal jugular vein is dissected. Thoracic duct ligated. The fascia between the carotid sheath and the straps is incised, and the straps are retracted with the common carotid artery and vagus nerve. The mid-thyroid artery is ligated and the sheath dissected all the way to skull. And then finally the superior skin flaps are elevated, preserving the marginal mandibula, which will be overlying the submandibular gland, approximately two finger breadths below and anterior to the mandibular angle. And the facial vessels are ligated, uh, while the lingual and hypoglossal nerves are preserved. What are the complications of a neck dissection? The complications of a nectar section include the intraoperative complications, which are bleeding, carotid artery embolism, stroke, and nerve injury. The early complications include skin flap necrosis, carotid blowouts, and the late complications, which include scar contracture, neuroma, shoulder pain, and facial edema. How is an air embolus managed? An air ambulance, air embolus is managed with ligation and pressure on the open vein. The patient is turned onto their left side and is put in a head down position. What increases the risk of a carotid blowout?
salivary fistulas and post-radiotherapy increase the risk of a carotid blowout. One of the other intraoperative complications is hypotension because of carotid sinus reflex. How can this be prevented? Local anaesthetic into the adventitia around the carotid bifurcation can reduce the carotid sinus reflex and therefore reduce the risk of hypotension. Another early complication is a salivary or chylus fistula, which causes a milky discharge. How is a chylus fistula managed? A patient with a suspected or actual chylus fistula should have a fat-free diet and TPN, both of which reduce the volume of chyle. What do you do if there's a significant bleed during a nectar section? The answer is not panic. So the first thing to do if there's a significant bleed in a nectar section is inform the anaesthetist. Then control the bleeding and prevent an air, ambulant, air embolism <laughs> with pressure on the vein. Isolate the bleeding point with suction and dissect the surrounding tissues. Repair or oversew the defect if it's in the IJV. And if this is not possible, plug the defect with a finger or gauze. Then get your assistant to apply pressure while you, fire, while you finish the neck section. If there is still bleeding, then plug it with bits of sternocleidomastoid. And consider contacting cardiothoracics if the bleed is inferior. If it's a superior part of the internal jugular vein that has been cut and has retracted, plug the jugular foramen with Surgicel and plicate the posterior belly of digastric over the hole. What is the role of a radical radiotherapy in an N0 and N1 necks? In an N0 neck, there is no difference between the control rates at five years following either an elective neck dissection or prophylactic radiotherapy. However, radical radiotherapy works best for an N1 neck. Which disease or pathologies benefit from adjuvant radiotherapy?
Higher-risk tumours, such as those with perineal or lymphovascular invasion, extracapular spread, or close surgical margins, all benefit from adjuvant radiotherapy, as do oral cavity primaries, or T3 or T4 lesions. What's the role of chemotherapy in head and neck cancer? The role of chemotherapy in head and neck cancer is not well established. However, platinum coated agents such as cisplatin tend to be used, but cetuximab targets the epidermal growth factor receptors and confers a 9% survival advantage over radiotherapy in T3 and T4 lesions. Which investigation is suggested in head and neck cancers of unknown primary? The four investigations that can be performed to help identify an unknown primary are firstly, ultrasound guided core biopsy of the node in the hope that the histology may suggest the primary as well as markers such as EBV positive is likely to be a nasopharyngeal tumour or HPV is likely to be an oral or oropharyngeal tumour. Next, PET combined with CT is a gold standard, but does have a false positive rate. The CT, the CT should be from the skull base to the diaphragm. And here we're looking for the extent of lymphadenopathy to try to ID if there's any primary and looking for lung nets. Thirdly, pan endoscopy, which is done after imaging as it can confer artifact. Obviously needs to be done GA. And finally, if there is still an absence of a primary, then a tonsillectomy should be performed. How are neck nodes of an unknown primary managed? For an unknown primary with positive neck, a modified radical or a selective neck dissection should be performed. If it is an N2 or N3, or there's extra capture spread, then there should be adjacent radiotherapy. What unit measures density on CT? Sorry for the sudden change of subject list there. But the unit of measurement within CT is a Hounsfield unit. Here, air is 1,000 Hounsfield units. Water is zero Hounsfield units. And bone is hundreds to thousands of Hounsfield units. Now, I should have said air is minus 1,000. What do PET scans measure?
PET scans measure glucose metabolism within the tissues? What is the marker used for PET? PET scans use a radio-labelled 16-fluorodexyoxyglucose FDG. And the final question for this set. What wavelength and frequency do ultrasound use? Apologies, actually, it's just frequency. And the ultrasound frequency is 2 to 18 megahertz.